going to get straight into God's Word. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, we're going to read three verses. I've got a title for you, and I'm not always great at titles, but I like the name of the sermon, and I've called it Beyond the Veil. Beyond the Veil. We live in the New Covenant, and we get to go beyond the veil. And I believe in 2021, no matter what situation you find yourself in, wherever you are in your life, we're going to go beyond the veil, and we're going to talk through what that actually means for us uh, in a new year. So we're going to read some scriptures together. And uh, this is a pretty poignant moment in history. And uh, this is where Jesus is literally about to die on the cross. And we pick it up in Matthew 27, reading in the New King James Version. It'll be there on screen with you as well. It says in verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. It says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. It's a really crazy passage of Scripture as Jesus died. All of these things unfolded, these things that uh, would have been talked about uh, for the ages, and we are still talking about them today because something truly significant happened on that day that I want to talk about. But before we do that, I want you to think about a time that maybe when you were growing up, there might have been a room in the house that you never had access to. And so I'm thinking about when I grew up and lived with my mother growing up and there was always, we had uh, fortunate, I guess, to have two kind of lounges. One was sort of a, a lounge slash living room, but there was a lounge uh, in our house that we weren't allowed access to at certain times because my mother would often uh, do counseling. And uh, she would say, when she's in there and the doors are closed, you weren't allowed access to that room. Now, fortunately for us, uh, we lived in a very old house and that room was freezing, freezing cold, and we were never allowed access, but it had two doors to it. And so to kind of go through from one side of the house to the other, you would have to walk around the hallway to get access to the other side of the house. But it was so much easier simply to go through this room. And so it made you curious as a kid to think, well, what was going on in that room at the time? And so my brother and I would often try and think about ways that we could look through because as a kid, you kind of tend to be curious about these sorts of things. And so we would often try and uh, lift ourselves up on our shoulders and kind of peer through the sort of clouded glass to see what's going on on the inside. And my mother must have seen our faces just sort of between the glass like, peering over and having a look through the room. And then sometimes we'd try and, there was a big gap underneath the door and we'd try and get under it to have a look through it. And I think she must have seen shapes against the door uh, at times. And I can still remember being hit by the door as she opened it and uh, whacked me in the head. Uh, maybe that taught me a lesson to know that actually there was no access to this room um, at the time. But we would always be curious to find out uh, what was happening in this room. I want to say to you today that actually the access to any kind of room in your life in terms of a spiritual context has actually been removed. We're living in the new covenant. There are no barriers between us and God anymore. And I want to talk about how this is reflected in our daily life because we need to recognize that the veil has been torn into it, has been removed when Jesus died on the cross for you and me. So what does this help us with? Well, if we, if we think about daily life, the things that we pray for, the things that we petition God for, if we need healing, we know that there's actually healing to be found in the name of Jesus. We have full access to healing. We have full access to His provision. We have full access to His forgiveness of our sins. Any insecurities that we have around those things, we need to recognize they're not from God. 
any area of, of deficiency in our own hearts is actually not from God. He's given us an abundance, yet sometimes we walk in lack. And so we've got to figure out what does having full access to God actually look like? The fulfillment of dreams we talk about last, at the end of last year. Fulfillment of dreams. We have access to dreams in God. There's nothing holding us back from His presence. I want to declare today that the door is open, that the veil has been removed. But first let me understand, let us understand together a bit of a history lesson about what that actually looks like. I want to say that the layout of the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant was, was such that you would come in and this was, uh, Jewish people would understand the system of ritual worship. That what happened was that the tabernacle housed the very presence of God. So the Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament times to do certain things and then the Holy Spirit's presence would be removed. And if you remember Moses, Moses was one that actually was face to face with God, but he would never really be able to look at God's presence because the Bible tells us that we would simply die in his presence. The glory is that great. And so we have these kind of moments where we're kind of trying to understand, well, what does God's presence actually look like? And so in, in, the, in the temple, the tabernacle, you would have these outer courts. People could mill around in the outer courts and there was an altar there as well. And then you would come into kind of the, this, this place called sort of the inner court. And there were two places in the inner court that were there. There was the most holy place and then there was the holy of holies. So two very holy places that certain people, the priests had access to at certain times throughout the year. So the most holy place uh, contained some artifacts and, and the, the priests were sort of allowed in there. But then there was this veil and the veil simply was this very thick ornate curtain that would come down and would separate the, the most holy place to the Holy of Holies. Now the Holy of Holies contained the Ark of the Covenant. And again, we don't have time to talk about this today. You can research the Ark of the Covenant. There's some great stories in the Bible around the Ark of the Covenant. But the Israelites would carry around the Ark of the Covenant, which was a, was, was a representation of God's presence here on earth. And they would carry it around. And where the Ark was, God would usually bring about victory. And so contained in that specific place in the Holy Holies was the Ark of the Covenant and the veil was simply between these two rooms. So why is this important? Why the history lesson? Why is it relevant for us today? And how do we connect it into Jesus dying on the cross? Well, there's a couple of things we want to still mention. The veil served to, to do the following. It was really a point of separation between these two rooms. What would happen was there was nothing that was unclean could ever come in to God's presence. God is pure. He is holy. He is just. And so in the Old Testament times, nothing unclean could ever come in. If you remember in your Bible and some of these scriptures, uh, lepers or people who had skin diseases, uh, things like that, they were actually separated from society. There was a whole bunch of things. If you touched a dead body, it represented something that was death or dying or decay, and that could never come into God's presence. And so there was the sense of, uh, it was a great understanding of what was clean and what was unclean in Old Testament times, which sometimes we struggle with a bit today. Now, we don't have to think about that anymore. That's the great news about the, the, new, the, the new covenant, the New Testament that we live in. We don't have to worry about those things anymore because the veil has been removed. And so, Here's kind of what we need to understand because this has such dramatic uh, significance for our lives as followers of Jesus uh, today. 
And on the day of Jesus' resurrection, we read that before Jesus gave up his body, the veil or the curtain, right, as he did, it was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, most scholars would say it wasn't bottom to top, it wasn't in the middle, or it wasn't, it was ripped from the top to bottom. So the, the, the thought being that right from, right from heaven, God was actually tearing it himself from top to bottom and removing the veil. Now, again, this is awesome. This is great news for us as Christians because, again, the separation that we have between the clean and the unclean is now no longer. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life when I don't feel super clean. There's times in my life when I feel like I don't want to forgive this person. I don't want to have to carry, have to take the high road all the time. I don't, some of the things that, as the Apostle Paul says, I do the things that I know I shouldn't do, and there's some things I shouldn't do that I know I should do. And so we have this constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. But I love in the New Testament, God says, I've removed the barrier now so that as an unclean person, as a person who's, who, whose life is often filled with sin, I can now access God's presence. That's a game changer for us as Christians. And so Jesus made a way possible through his death on the cross to have access, for us to have access to the holy of holies, to the most holy place. All of a sudden for Christians, we don't have to physically carry around the, God's presence anymore. God's presence through the power of his Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us now. That changes everything about the way that we need to live our lives. Back in 1989, I was 13 years old. And in 1989, if you know your history, you'll remember something truly significant happened on that day. The Berlin Wall, which separated East and West Berlin, after, off the back of World War II, uh, East Berlin was annexed off from the West. And, uh, and the Russians and, and, and the Americans, they all sort of divvied up parts of Berlin, and there was a war that was between it. And uh, what happened was, it was, a, it was a hilarious way that the wall actually came down. Because there was a, a, a German politician that said the wall is coming down. And then he was asked by reporters, well, when? When is it coming down? And because he hadn't really fully been briefed, I think he gave the German word, unsofort, as in now, immediately. It's coming down now. So what you had was a whole bunch of people that all of a sudden uh, w- went to the wall. They couldn't see family members. If you think about it, for decades, they were separated from people. You couldn't get access to the other side. So if you lived on one side of that fence, of that wall, that was it. And so what would happen was a whole bunch of people started rushing to the wall. More and more started coming. And the troops didn't know what to do because, again, if you were to jump the wall and try and get across, hundreds of people would die. They, would, they were shot dead between this sort of demilitarized zone. And so what happened was a whole bunch of people came to the wall and all of a sudden uh, people started attacking the wall and, and, and you've seen great photos and video footage of people uh, taking pickaxes to the wall and now they had access and, and the, the military forces were overrun by people wanting to get access to see family and loved ones and friends on the other side. So why am I telling the story? Well, what happened was they would come across to the west, they would see their families and they would hug and they would have food and dinner and then when it got to nighttime, you know what they did? They all went back again. They went back to their homes because, of course, they were sleeping on the other side of the wall. They still had their houses to live in. Now, for us, this is pretty significant. Because for us, are we still living a life that suggests this separation between us and God? If the walls have come down, shouldn't we then decide to recognize that actually we don't need to separate ourselves between us and God? There is no separation anymore. 
And you may go, I know God and I trust Him and I, I, I live with Him as, as a cornerstone in my life and, and I put everything through Him. But is that replicated in the way that you live your life? Are you going into the next job interview that you have knowing that I have the power of the Holy Spirit living within me? I don't need to hold back anymore. I don't need to feel like I can't initiate something for the kingdom anymore. When there's healing, do we think, well, God's never going to heal me? Well, who says? Your friend? Because there's not a lack of faith in Sometimes it's a lack of understanding what G, who Jesus was and what he came to do. Let's just not go back to our family. Let's just not go back through the wall and continue to live our life as if we were separated from God. Because he's saying to us that we have full access to him. The veil has been torn in two, has been removed, and the access to God has been granted. When I was a kid, I can remember... There's a photo of my face as about a five-year-old and I've got bruises and I can still remember thinking my dad took a photo just after my sister and I uh, had a car accident. So what would happen was I used to ask her all the time to sort of, as we would say back in the day, to double me on her push bike. And so she would ride to school and I'd say, can I jump on the back and sit on the bike because I didn't want to have to walk to school. And often she would oblige and she would say, jump on the back and and. The details in my head are a little bit sketchy, but we pretty much had to cross a large road. And for whatever reason, we crossed the road. And as we did, a car came and hit us. And we both got knocked over and I broke a couple of ribs and my face was pretty smashed up and my sister was pretty badly hurt as well. And uh, whilst we can laugh about it now, it was pretty scary at the time. And I remember seeing the photos and thinking, how cool it is for my father to take photos of me while I was so ill. But anyway, I probably do the same things to my children these days. But what would happen was it was interesting because it would sort of play on my mind. I can remember as a kid uh, back in, in the days, I can remember the neighborhood that I grew up in. I'd go past there uh, reasonably regularly. And depending on what country you're in, but I think we all understand the, the, the principle of having a, a pedestrian crossing. So there's a big, large road and there's a, there's a zebra crossing, white lines across the street that pretty much mean that Cars have to stop, certainly in New Zealand where we are, cars have to stop if you're standing at a pedestrian crossing. They have to stop and they have to wait for you. And when you see the car stopping and waiting, you're able to cross the road legally, right? And so what would happen, that was, that was no problem. But after this accident, my brother and I would go and visit some friends and they lived a few streets away. And we would get to the point, we'd come to the crossing. He would then cross the road and I would stay on the same side of the road. And I would look at him and he would say, come on, come across the road. The, the cars have all stopped. You can, you can come now. And I would look at them and the cars were starting to even build up on the road. And the cars, the people driving the cars were ushering me to cross the road. They were in their cars. Do it. I can remember people doing it. You can go now. And I still, and I was there frozen. This didn't happen on one occasion. This happened all the time. Do you know, as a kid, I can never, ever remember me crossing that road so long as we lived in that neighborhood. We eventually moved out of the neighborhood. We moved overseas and grew up as children living in Fiji. But I can still remember never crossing the road after I had this accident, after something had happened to me. And what had happened was I can remember thinking about it now as an, I say mature adult, but hopefully you understand. <laughs> I can remember thinking, Man, I really lost my confidence. I, I found it really hard to cross roads because maybe I'd seen the cars, I'd seen the things that hurt me before. 
And I realised that was the thing that did it. I don't want to cross the road because I don't feel as confident as maybe I did before. Which means that my brother continued to go and hang out with his friends and somehow I was sort of robbed of that experience because there was something deep within me as a child that I recognised I don't have the confidence to do that anymore. Let me read to this in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. In verse 19 to 22, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, since we have confidence, there's an assumption there that because of the blood of Jesus, we now have a confidence in God that we maybe didn't have before to approach the Holy of Holies. And verse 20, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. This is such an evocative picture where the curtain really was a representation of Jesus' body. Jesus was the one that stood there between the unclean and the clean. He was the one that stood in the gap for us. He was the one that made a way for us. He was the bridge that we can walk across to get access to God. Friends, it's so important that we understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. I can feel the Holy Spirit in this room as I say this to you. He's not just a great man. He's not just a great prophet. He's not just a great moral figure. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and He gave us full access to the Father. Verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. The full the confidence, the assurance, the knowingness that faith can bring. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, we have access to God through Jesus, through Jesus' body that was broken for you and for me. That enables us a full assurance. It's a knowing that God is going to come through no matter what. The challenge for us at home is figuring out, well, if God, you can't come through, but you don't come through often in the ways that I think you should do. So you're sitting here and I can almost hear people think, well, Jake, you talked about healing before. I've prayed for my heart, my hand, my whatever it is, and I haven't been healed. Then we've got to ask the question, well, what, where is God in all this? What is He doing? The question is, I don't fully know because I don't fully know what God is doing through everything. I know that sometimes we can believe for outcomes and God says, yeah, but I'm a God of process. Maybe for you, God wants to continue to contend in the Spirit for things. Maybe you'll see amazing things happen in other people's lives. And as it says in the Bible, that those who refresh others, they themselves are refreshed. Maybe God's saying, I want you to just be a champion of other people. Maybe as Pastor Sam often shares us, that sometimes when we fulfill or when we interpret somebody else's dream, then ours gets interpreted, as it was with the case of Joseph. Until his team, his, his, someone else's dream was realized, all of a sudden, he was still in prison. All of a sudden, God did something in his life and his dream was realized. I don't know what God is doing all the time. I don't promise to know. But I know that he asks us to contend and to fight and to pray in everything that we do. As Thessalonians says, that is the will of God for our lives. But I wonder whether our response can be like this. Because the Bible does help us with some of these things. And in Matthew 27, verse 54, 
our response needs to be like that of the Roman centurion. So when Jesus died on the cross, the great thing about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that most of them would say there were over 500 people that day that witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They were there on the day when Jesus died and rose again. And the Gospels are an account of, an, an historical account of people writing about the events that happened. And so the Roman centurion, listen to this, in Matthew 27, verse 54, it says, When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and all that had happened, so the things that we talked about, the, the veil torn in two, the earthquake, rocks were being split open, they were terrified and they exclaimed, listen to this, surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. This was a, a hardened, battle-weary Roman centurion. This was the same Roman centurion that just prior to some of these verses, they were, they'd put a, a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, stripped him of his clothes, they cast lots for them because his robe was valuable, beat him. Same Roman centurions that stabbed him in the side to speed up the process of crucifixion. Spat probably on Jesus, but mocked him for being the king of the Jews. Said to him, save yourself if you can. These were the same people. And yet when Jesus died, these kind of cataclysmic events happened around Jerusalem. And all of a sudden they were terrified. All of a sudden the bravado and the, the mocking, all that stopped in an instant when Jesus died. And his response was, surely this was the Son of God. As in, what have we done? Surely this was the Son of God. What a declaration from someone that you never would have expected it from. Straight away, this Roman centurion who never had understood Jesus probably, who was simply following orders, who actually would have thought Jesus isn't the Son of God. God is whoever's on the Roman throne. For Caesar, he was God. He was the name that was on the coins that we spent. He was God. All of a sudden, he gets a revelation. Surely, this is the Son of God. My whole life, I've been believing that it's actually the Roman God, and yet it's Jesus. You see, when the veil's been removed, when we recognize that we've got full access to God, I think we need to start saying surely a little more often. It's not a maybe God will come through. It's not a possibly that God can come through. Can I say, it's not even a probably. It has to be a surely. When the veil is removed, surely. This is the Son of God. Surely my healing is contended for. Surely my provision, my forgiveness of sin. Surely these things are taking place because the veil has been removed. It's been torn in two. The veil wasn't partially opened. What I love is scholars will say it was torn in two and completely ripped down is that no matter how bad you think you are, you've got access to God just like I do. It wasn't the fact that it was just the person who had a couple of sins got access because maybe if the veil was only torn a little bit, that person could sneak through. Maybe only little people could sneak through because it was ripped from the bottom. Maybe we could walk around. No, he said the veil has been torn down top to bottom and the access has been removed. The clean and the unclean. You can now come to God no matter what way, shape or form that you think you're in. No matter what you've done in your life, can I say that your life has value? God loves you. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die in your place. 
Surely healing is mine. Surely salvation is mine for my loved ones. Surely forgiveness of sins is mine. Surely, surely, surely this is the Son of God. Surely that access to God now has been fully alleviated. Surely now I can approach, boldly approach the throne room of grace. Surely I can put a demand on God. Surely when I pray, I know that God, you're gonna move. Maybe not in the ways that I think, but I know that God, you're calling me to action. You're calling me to make a difference in my world. Surely, surely, surely. So now we go back to my lounge. And often I think the door is now not open. The door is not closed anymore. I've got access to that room, maybe in my life that I never thought I had access to. The challenge for us is do we kind of give life, our life to God 80%? Are there any areas in our life that we go, God, don't go there? Maybe it's like, I can't forgive that person. I love you. I do all the things you ask me to do, but I simply can't forgive them for the things that they've done to me. Surely, God says, but surely, the access has been removed. He says, if you can't forgive other people, I can't forgive you. God says, he's a jealous God. He wants our whole life. He doesn't want a part of it. He wants everything. He says, give yourself wholeheartedly to me and see what I can do with your life. The great thing about it is that it's almost like there's no door. We're standing in a precipice. It's like you go to knock on the door at someone's house and they open the door and they say, hey, come on in and you stand there. And they're like, just, just, just come in. Come, in. come and eat food with me and we're still standing there. And they're like, what are you waiting for? Can I say in 2021, what are you waiting for? We're not waiting for God to return. We are. But God says, come on, I want you to bring as many people with you as possible. We've got a whole world to reach. We're desperate to see God move in every area. And we can't afford to wait because the time, there's an urgency about us moving when God says, come on, it's time to move. So live with the veil torn down, just like the Apostle Paul. And I want to close with a couple of scriptures as we finish today. And I really pray this is helpful to you. In Philippians 3, verse 10 to 11, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul's cry was that I might know him, that I might know him and the power of His resurrection. That I might know this Jesus, not from a head knowledge, but as the Greeks often use the word yada, it's a relational knowledge of Jesus. That I might have such an intimacy of relationship with Him, not simply in my head, but in my heart. That I may give my all to Him and also understand the power of what Jesus came to do on the cross. The Bible says that we are children of the resurrection. When He was resurrected, when we give our hearts to Him, we are resurrected also, which means that nothing is too hard for God. If you've got a dream in your life and you feel like I've been praying for so long, Jake, praying for healing, praying for this, praying for that, we need to understand that we serve a resurrected God who wants to resurrect dreams, resurrect families, resurrect all the things that the enemy has stolen. I believe there's an enemy working against us actively even this morning, tonight, whenever you're reading it listening to this message, sorry. 
There's an enemy that works actively against us. And he's trying to cloud this resurrection power. I think it, I think it almost confounds the enemy. It confuses the enemy when we understand the power of the resurrection that we can have in each and every one of our lives. I believe that's when the enemy starts to run scared. If he realizes, man, if these followers of Jesus realize what they have, the power that they have in the cross, if they realize that actually the significance of the veil being torn in two, all of a sudden you've got access to that room, the Ark of the Covenant, God's very presence. You don't have to be the priest that one time a year can go into the Day of Atonement. You don't have to worry about anything happening to your life when you have access to Jesus and access to the power of His Holy Spirit. Don't allow the enemy to rob you of knowing that you have full access to the Father. And finally, and I would love to just pray a prayer in just a moment. If you need to know Jesus, what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer and I'm going to hand you back to Kevin and Trina, our online pastors, and they're going to tell you how to get connected into the life of Equipus Church Online. But I love this verse in Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Listen, I really believe that God is standing at the door of your hearts and he's knocking and he's knocking and he's knocking. And you know the good thing about God is that He'll continue to knock on the door of your heart. Just like Jonah, if you know the story of Jonah, God says, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh because 120,000 people are going to perish. You know what Jonah does? Cool. I'm going to go that way. He goes to Tarshish. If you know the story, he's in the boat, chucks himself over to sea. It seems like he's really brave. Fish swallows him up, spits him back onto dry land. And you know what God says? Hey, it's me again. You've just come full circle and now you're wet and you smell like fish. But hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach and 120,000 people are going to give their hearts to Jesus, going to give their hearts to God. You see, God is so good. He'll keep bringing us back to the same point, the same point. You can try and run from Him, but deep down when you go to bed at night, you'll hear the knocking on the door of your heart. Knock, 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 knock. And you know, until you open that door, we can never really dine with Him. Friend, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He died for you to give you life. And what I'm going to do in a moment is I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you know that your life is not right with God, I want you to pray a prayer that's going to help you. So let's all do this together. Dear God, today I open up the door of my heart and I ask that you would come in be my Lord and be my Saviour. Lord, forgive me of all of the things that I've done wrong and give me a new start. I thank You for loving me so much that You would send Your Son Jesus to die in my place to give me new life. I thank You for the abundant life that's found only in Jesus. And God, I thank You that You made a way possible for us to access Your presence. That righteousness, right standing with You is only found through Jesus. I thank you that Jesus, you are the way, the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father except through you. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen.